0: Welcome! It is great to be with you guys. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. Can we do that? And now I'd like to say a special hello to our brand new grand opening today, Church Unlimited San Antonio there in Stone Oak. Yeah! Fired up! I'm so excited for you guys. In fact, a friend of mine sent a little video just to say congratulations. Check this out. Hey everybody at Church Unlimited San Antonio. I'm Craig Rochelle, the pastor of Life Church. And Amy and I wanted to give a shout out to Pastor Bill and Jessica and all of you all on the grand opening week at Church Unlimited in San Antonio. Pastor Bill and Jessica, we love you guys so much, and we remember you dreaming about reaching people, saying we have such a burden for the people in San Antonio, and here we are, the grand opening weekend. To everyone here, welcome. You are in on the ground floor of something very, very special. We applaud your faith. We believe that God's gonna do more than you could ever imagine. Welcome to the first weekend in the new building, Church Unlimited San Antonio. It's exciting. Well, I look forward to meeting you guys in San Antonio in a few weeks. I'm going to come and do a Wednesday night there. It's going to be a lot of fun, kind of have a dedication. But we love you guys. We're so proud of you. I just want to give it up for Pastor Nate and the entire team who pulled off San Antonio. This is five years coming, guys. Congratulations. Good job. Proud of you guys. Well, let's say our mission statement today, this is what we always say every single weekend. We start off with it, and this mission statement is why we open new campuses. This is why the next campus that's going to be opening is Rockport here in about four or five months. We're excited about that as well. And so what are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, so thank you for being a part of our services today. And so we're fired up today. You know, we're starting a brand new series called Fix My Family. And maybe your family needs to be fixed. Go ahead and point to the family member right now that you really came for. Go ahead. It's okay to do it. Just point to them right there. Just let them know we need you fixed right now. All right. That's why we're here. So, right. And so, no, the truth is, though, we all want to fix something, right? I mean, there's always something. Families can get messy and get a little crazy, I heard a true story, Gary Smalley tells a true story about a, a mom who had a five-year-old and a two-year-old, her husband uh, was was working one day, and, and they had decided just a few months prior that she wanted to stay home, and so they were already adjusting to about 30 to 40 percent less in income, right, that's a huge adjustment, so things were a little tight, a little stressful, and then just add on that a five-year-old and a two-year-old and how crazy that can be, and maybe you're there now or maybe you remember those days, and so her life was crazy, she tried to get the kids settled, focused on some toy or something, right, so as she kind of got them settled in, she thought, this is my me time moment. So she jumped up and she ran into her bedroom and jumped in the shower. She's like, I just, I want to just get cleaned up for the day. So she was showering and she, she started hearing a knock on the door. She didn't know what was going on, but nervous, right? So she turned off the shower. She's like, what, what? And then she heard a five-year-old say, mommy, mommy, Billy's outside. The two-year-old had gotten out was in the front yard. She's freaking out. She jumps out. She she doesn't dry off. She just grabs her robe, throws it on, peeks through the blinds, and sure enough, she sees her two year old out there. And across the street are the neighbors seeing this happen. She's thinking, "Great, I'm like the worst mom of the year now." You know, she can't believe it. So she runs around, and by way of the garage, she goes to the garage and she hits the the garage door opener as it's going up. She's waiting for it to get high enough so she can grab her kid real quick. And as soon as it gets a little little high enough, she she darts underneath it. But when she does, she doesn't realize her robe gets caught in the garage door, and there's nothing she can do but just lose her robe and grab her kid without any clothing and run back inside. (laughs) Family, isn't it amazing the things that can happen when you are trying to have a great, great family? It's a crazy thing. and I gotta say today, it's it's not, uh, as I talk today, I want you to know I'm, I'm coming as a fellow struggler today. In fact, I used to think I can never talk on family because my family's not perfect, but what I finally realized is that That's actually why I can talk on family, because my family is not perfect, because none of us have perfect families, and so I'm just going to share from my own struggles as well, and so I'm very excited about this entire series. You know, maybe you came today, and uh, you're excited about this too, but maybe for you, the reason you're here is because you're thinking, Pastor, what I really need you to do is I need you to fix my marriage, right? Some people right right now secretly came in thinking the whole time, man, I hope my spouse listens. I hope they're paying attention. I hope they get with the program, because if they would, then our whole family would be fixed if I could just get my spouse... On board, Right. And then some parents today came secretly with an agenda. They didn't tell their kids. They just dragged them to church today in the hopes that I'll say something that will fix your kid. Right. Like, oh, just let them say something that finally gets little Johnny, Sally or Juan's attention. You know, just just help the pastor say something. Right. That will straighten them out. But the truth is, is if we really want to fix our family, instead of focusing on our marriage or our kids and pointing the finger to others, we actually have to start by saying, Lord, fix me. And so that's the first thing we have to do. And if you're going to fix you, we have to take you, and we have to actually move you over in place of the kids and the spouse and say, okay, God, I'm willing to start with me because I realize that if I can't fix me, I can't fix other people. Here, in case you don't realize this shit, you, you can't control anyone else. Have you, have you tried? Have you tried to control your spouse and your kids? How'd that go? Right? We, we just, we can't do it. So I can't control other people, but the Bible is very clear that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So God, rather than me point a finger at my family, Lord, I realize that the only one I can control in this family is me. So God, fix me today. Help me to become a better family member. And I maybe can't fix everything, but I can at least fix my part. And so let's talk about that today. Pull out your notes if you would. I'm excited about this message series. Speaking of that, look at Matthew chapter 7. It says this. This is a very common verse. Maybe you've heard it it says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So uh, as I read that scripture, it just immediately came to mind. I thought, that's it. So would you write this down? Number one is to fix your family is to start with you. We would start with ourselves. So I, I did a little research, and I went ahead and Googled how to remove a speck from your eye. I just was curious. You know, like, what is the medical way to do that, right? So uh, the first thing it says, obviously, if there's something on your cornea, you need to probably go see a doctor to get it removed because you can damage your cornea. And, and then, you know, you can actually blind yourself, or, or you can just, you know, limit your, 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 uh, your eyesight. So, you know, go get that fixed. But most people get a speck not on their cornea, on the white part of their eye. And they said the, the way to do it is you can try to wash it out. You can try to rub it out. Uh, normally, your, your natural tears will get it. But then it said this. I looked this up on webmd.com. It said, if you really can't get it, ask a family member to look in your eye and locate it and remove it. I love that. Apparently, family members are really good at finding specks in our eyes. <laughs> Isn't that true? And so the reality is the reason why I want to bring this scripture up is because if you were to go confess your sin to your family right now, They would all be like, yeah, we know, because we live with you, right? You're not going to go to your kids and go, no, kids, I need to tell you, I have a temper problem. They're like, yeah, we know, we have broken dishes to prove it, right? You go, hey, I want you guys to know I have a spending problem. They'd be like, yeah, we know, we see the bill, right? And so in other words, like whatever your issue is, whatever your problem is, your family already knows because they live with you. And so rather than, you know, having these big expose and whatever our problems are, let's just admit them so we can fix them, because once you fix you, it fixes you. Your family. And so we had to start with the speck in our own eye first. And trust me, if you don't know what is in your own eye, if you don't know what your issues are, just ask someone in your family. They'll be glad to let you know. Because I promise you, they see it. They're fully aware of whatever your issues are. We all have issues. We all need to grow in certain areas. And so no, no one's exempt from that. I want to show you another scripture. This is really a powerful scripture that maybe you've heard before, but maybe you've never seen it in this context. So let's try to put this in a family context. Matthew 18 says this. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell them. Work it out between the two of you. Now, when it says a fellow believer, you, most people think, okay, this, this scripture is applying to the church, right? Well, we forget that the church is also the family of God, so this is a great family scripture. So if a fellow family member, if your spouse or your kid or your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister, offends you, you're supposed to go directly to them and work it out between the two of you. Now, one of the points out now, it says between the two of you, so if you're having an issue with your spouse, it doesn't mean you need to bring it up in the family meeting. It's between you and your spouse, If you have an issue with one kid, don't talk about it with the other kid. You have to talk just between the two. You You need to respect them enough to go directly to them and to work it out. So it says, if if a fellow believer, a family member hurts you, go and tell them, work it out between the two of you. If he listens... You've made a friend. If you won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If you still won't listen, tell the church. That just means maybe you need to come see a a church counselor, a pastoral counselor, you need to get some help, right? If you won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no in heaven. Now, if you've been studying the scripture any length of time at all, you probably thought, oh, you went a little too far. You should have stopped because right there is where, when it finishes out the part about, like, if someone defends you, what you're supposed to do, go to them, then go to the church, then try to work it out. Like, you're done. Like, you, you, you could have stopped. But see, the thing is, we, years later, scholars, hundreds of years later, after the Bible was written, added the letters, added the numbers to it. Did you know that? They didn't start off with numbers. Okay, it was, just, it was just a letter. And so because of that, we've added numbers. And so the numbers arbitrarily have given us stopping points that really weren't supposed to be there. So I want to help you see this a little different and realize there's a flow happening here. Hey, if, if someone offends you and your family, go to them. Take someone else if you can't work it out. Try again and remember this. And it goes right on into this next line. It says, oh, don't forget that your yes here is, is the same as your yes in heaven. What you say here, whether it's a yes or no, is the same in heaven. Why would it bring that up? Why would it bring up conflict in your yes or no all in the same in the same section of scripture? I believe there's a reason for that. Would you write this down? Number two is to identify where you might be making a mess in your family. Where you might be making a mess in your family. Family can be messy. It, it really can be. I mean, honestly, Jerry Springer is real. I mean, you know, it really is. And so. And so is Mari Povich. I mean, it's crazy, right? And so because of that, it can get messy with family because people are involved. And if people are involved, we all make mistakes. And so it gets messy. That's just how that works. So I want to define a mess for you if I can. Here's what a mess is. And I want to give you a little equation here. M equals O minus C. So just write this down, would you? Here's what a mess is. A mess, M, in your family is where someone has an obligation, O, without a commitment, minus a commitment, so, so M equals O minus C. A mess is in your family where someone has an obligation without a commitment. Maybe the mess in your family is that you're always fighting about your kids with their grades. They're just not taking it seriously. Students, whether you realize it or not, I, I know you may not, may not like school and you feel like you didn't sign up for it, and, but, but you've just been forced to go. I understand that, but you do have obligations. Part of growing up is that you are going to have obligations that you just have to do, whether you like it or not. And so it's going to be a mess if you don't have a commitment to match your schoolwork. It just is you're creating a mess. You don't realize it, but you're hurting your future. You're also hurting today, right? Or, or maybe for you, it's, you know, dad doesn't quite understand why he's always being pushed by his wife or kids to be re- more responsive, to be more vocal. Dad, you got to realize that you're the leader of the family. And so if you never actually say verbally to your children, I love you, then there is an obligation. They, they're expecting to have this love tank full, even from their father, who may not be very, very verbal. You're going to have to understand that's an obligation you have. And so you need to actually say it. There's an obligation there. Is there a commitment to back it? Maybe for you, the, the obligation is to, to play your part in the family, to keep up with the housework and, and, and everyone else is doing their part, but you're not doing yours. That's going to lead to conflict. It's going to lead to a mess. So we all have obligations, and we don't like the word obligation because it sounds kind of negative. You know, we think about the word obligation. We think of like duty. Like it's my duty to be a good husband. It's my duty to be a good wife. It's my duty to be involved with the kids. It's my duty to obey my parents. We think the word duty is so bad. But why is it so dirty when we think about anything else? But then when you think about like the military, we think it's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of my call of duty, right? It's this positive thing. Duty's not a bad word. Obligation's not a bad thing. That's what family's all about, is two people fell in love, made a commitment to one another. They they obligated themselves to each other to to keep their word. That's what what family's all about. And so we all have to learn to keep our word with one another. Now, obviously, this also means parents not to overpromise. Clearly, that's something that can be a problem, too. You know, kids nagging and nagging and nagging. Finally, you go, okay, fine, we'll do that. But you had no intention of keeping that commitment. You just wanted to get them away from you. So we have to be really careful there to actually keep our Commitments, not be pushed into something we really aren't going to do. So that's important. But understand that that obligations are part of family. And there's nothing wrong with having obligations, but we have to be willing to follow through with those obligations. So recently, my family we went on vacation. And uh, my wife is an amazing planner. Like, she plans out vacations in great detail. In fact, women in general are better planners than men. I don't know what it is about that, but it's just, how many ladies would agree with me right now that you're the planner in your family? It's really true. In fact, men, you don't know this, but you're just a small part of the COG process. She has been planning her entire life for a wedding, a marriage, a family. She just plugged you in. That's why when you said, like, what what color is the wedding going to be? She was like, this doesn't doesn't involve you. What are you talking about? You're like, oh. And then she told you, you just say, I do. I have everything else, right? That's... (laughs) remember that? and remember when, remember when she came to you guys and she said, oh yeah, we're going to take all our furniture and mesh them together. No, no, what that means is all your stuff goes to the curve and all her <laughs> stuff comes in the house. That's, that's what that means in case you're wondering. So anyways, my wife is a planner, right? She's very detailed and she plans out very well. And so she she planned out this awesome trip. We all went to Montana. It was a beautiful state and we went to Glacier National Park, and we, we had rented a cabin. I mean, just really, it was really a lot of fun. More on that in a few weeks when we're talking about kids because we did something really cool that I want to tell you guys about, but I'll, I'll hold off on that. But we were there. We had a really good time, and each day was planned. And one particular day, she said, okay, we're going to go to Glacier National Park, and we're going to go there, and we're going to hike through. Uh, we're going to basically hike up this mountain, and you get to this certain point where you actually get to a pond in the middle of this p- national park, and there's actually glaciers in it, like huge ice forms, still in the middle of summer, floating. It's really cool, Right? Yeah, it sounds awesome, doesn't it? It's four and a half miles walking uphill the whole time. Within 30 minutes of walking, this is all you hear. Oh, my feet hurt so bad. When is this going to stop? This is miserable. This is the worst day of my life. Finally, my wife is like, honey, you got to quit talking like that. Their kids are going to hear you. <laughs> so we finally get there, and I want to show you the picture that I took. This is a selfie I took. Look how beautiful it is, but look at my face. Do I look happy right there? That is misery right there. That's what that is. I mean, I wish I could say it was a lot of fun, but it was straight up torture. Four and a half miles. Oh, and by the way, there was no mile marker telling you how far you've gone. So you have no idea, like, how far I've gone. People asked me, I was like, 58 miles maybe? I don't know. It just seemed like it was never going to end, you know? It was just like, Wow they kept saying, bears will eat you. I was like, at this point, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm good with that. It was crazy. And then at the end, you know, my wife was like, so was it worth it? I was like, baby, don't ask that question right now. That's not a good question. But you know what? I had an obligation. The obligation was I didn't want to contribute to the mess that this turned into. And so I realized I need to close my mouth and be positive. Just keep walking with my stiff, dying legs, you know, just, just, Get this done. And, and so I just at some point, halfway through, about I just I got so frustrated, I finally realized, okay, shut your mouth, you're being negative, your wife works really hard on this vacation and just and just plow plow ahead. And that's what I did. And it, you know what, it didn't make it all great, but it made it a lot better. I didn't realize that I was contributing to the mess at this point. And the truth is we had a lot of fun the next day when we, we went river rafting, and it was, it was a lot of fun, whitewater rafting. And so we had a lot of fun too. But let me just ask you this: are you contributing to a mess in your family? Like, are you adding to it, or are you taking away from it? Which one is it, right? We have to ask that question of ourselves. Are we contributing to the mess, to the struggle, to the difficulties? Make sure you're not contributing to it. In fact, I wanna show you another verse on this. This is a very common verse. Luke six thirty one says this, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Another translation, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. My boys think that means do to your sister before she does it to you. And I'm like, no, that's not what that means. <laughs> Do unto others, treat others how you want them to treat you. Let me tell you why this is a big deal because you may not realize the impact you're having. In fact, honestly, whatever area you're hurting in your family, that means there's someone in your family that thinks they're having less of a negative impact than they're really having. In fact, would you write this down? Number three is to think through your impact and then commit to changing. So I brought a rock up here, and if I were to throw this rock at you, it would hurt. Right. I mean, I won't. I'll just—that's a warning. No, I won't. I promise. But if I were to throw this rock, I mean, rocks hurt. I don't care how small they are. If you throw a rock at someone, it's gonna—it's gonna do some damage, right? And so I bet someone in your family probably knows that you're not crazy about the way they're acting or what what they're saying how they're using their words, right? And so they know they're doing damage. And and maybe you're the same way. Like, oh, I can know I can be negative sometimes, right? So we say things like that. Like, I mean, I know every once in a while, I'll just you know pop a zinger at you and just say something negative, right? I know every once in a while I'll do something or maybe I didn't come through on something I said I was gonna gonna do. And so I know when I did that, I threw a little rock at you. But the thing is that you may think you threw a small rock, but the truth is what they actually were delivered was far from small. Now, if I threw this at you, you'd go to the hospital. This is really heavy. My my staff's worried about me lifting it. It's, It's a lot of weight. Could it be that we think we're delivering something far smaller than what they're actually getting hit by. I mean, yeah, I just popped off of my kid. I understand that. You think you threw something small. But those words came from their dad. Those words came from their mom. Well, I mean, I know sometimes I say things to my sister. Yeah, but, but you're the older brother. Do you know how much she looks up to you and then you say that to her? We forget our words matter. Our actions are, are a big deal. Oh, it's not that big of a deal, so I did this or did that. Yeah, but you, I know you think that, but bro, you're her husband. She committed her life to you. So you think you threw a small rock. She got hit by a boulder. Oftentimes, we don't even realize the impact we're having. We don't even realize the words, the actions, how it's hurting others. See, what really creates a mess in our family that we have to fix is that we're unaware of the damage we're actually doing versus what we think we're doing. Oh, yes, I'm a little late sometimes. Yeah, but are you frustrating the entire family? Okay, so I'm not taking my job seriously. Well, let's put that another way. That means you're not providing. That's a very big deal. Financial stress is a big deal in in marriage. In fact, it's the number one component of divorce is financial problems it's a big deal. And so we don't realize the impact we're having. We think we threw a small rock, but the boulder got delivered. So I want to challenge you to really examine your impact and really sit down and say, God, am I creating a mess? rather than taking away from the mess and making our family great. God wants you to make your family great. He really, really does. And so, you know, I tell my kids uh, whenever they talk to each other negatively, I'll stop and say, hey, don't do that. You don't realize you're going you're to treat your, sp- your future spouse one day that way. And they look at me shocked like, I would never do that. I'm like, yeah, you really are. Because here's the thing, who you are is who you are. And if you think it's okay to say those words to your sister or your brother, then one day you'll think it's okay when you're mad to say the same kind of words to your spouse. So you don't realize, if, oh, I, it just it wasn't a big deal. I just, you know, no, no, it was a big deal. And it's creating a habit. And that habit means you'll become a bolder thrower. God has something better for you. God doesn't want us to damage each other. He wants us instead to have great families full of love and, and compassion and acceptance for one another. That's the way God wants it to be. And it can be that way. We just have to say, God, please fix me. Start with me. Fix me, Lord. I know that you want to bring changes in my life. So let's talk about that. What do we need to do here? Would you write this down? One area to change. This is your homework. I want you to just write down something that you know that you need to change. You may say, but my kid keeps acting up. Uh, okay, that may be true, but are you negatively impacting the situation by being very negative towards them? Are you going off? Are you screaming and yelling at them? Because I know they may be acting up. And you say, well, I'm just responding to what they're doing. I, I understand that, but you're still contributing. So maybe we need to change our words. You say, But, but, they're, but they haven't even changed. You want me to change words and they haven't changed? I know you can only control you. They're here, too, hearing this. And let's pray together that we can all collectively begin to honor God, honor each other, and see some real lasting change in our, in our families. But you can only fix you. So how are you contributing to the problem in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, with your mom and your dad? How are you contributing? What can you do differently? Kids, let me tell you something. It you may, may, may surprise you, but students I need me to tell you. Maybe one of the reasons your mom and dad are fighting is because of your behavior. It may be actually about you. Now, I want to be real clear here. I'm not talking about divorce. If if parents divorce, that is not a child's fault. So if you're taking blame for your parents' struggles, that's not you. So I want to be real clear about that. That's a decision they're making, not you. But students, don't think for a second that your behavior doesn't impact your mom and your dad or your whole family. It does. So when you start to make right choices, it doesn't just make your life better. It makes everyone around you's life better, too. It really does. We really do have a larger impact than we, than we realize. And so, you know, let me just say this to you real quick. For those of you who really need to see some change in your, in your marriage and in your family today, let me, just, let me just encourage you with this. The natural inclination of all human beings is to treat people in kind, to respond in kind. What that means is if someone treats you well, the natural inclination is to want to respond by treating them well. So if you need to change things in your family, if you'll just choose not because they change, but because you just choose it because there's a cycle going on. You say something negative, they say something negative. You respond, they respond, and it just gets worse and worse and gets, gets more heated, right? If you'll just choose to break the cycle and say, I refuse to respond like that, I'm gonna show you honor because you're a part of my family. If you'll just make that decision over time, not overnight, maybe not in that moment, but over time, if you choose to treat them well, the natural thing for them to eventually do is to treat you well, too. We're just, we're just wired that way. Here's the great thing, too, parents want to encourage you about kids they're resilient. They really are. If you go to your kids and say, Hey, I really screwed up, and I'm really sorry, and I, just, I was just really being a bad dad or a bad mom, and I, I, you deserve better than I'm really, really sorry. You know, I've learned if you'll do that, your kids will respond, they really will. And so if we'll just make a decision and say, God, I can't control what they say to me, what they do to me. I can't control what I say and what I do. So I wanna control my side. It is a game changer. So think through your impact and then commit to changing one area. In fact, here's your homework for the week. I wanna challenge you as you go home today to, to have a family meeting, to call a family meeting and just go over these notes. And just say, let's just go over this together. Is there any messes in our family? Are there areas that, 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 that are really messed up? And, and even if you know what the answer is, don't blurt it out if it's not you. Let them say it. And then you can collectively as a family come up with some solutions. But I want to encourage you to have a family meeting together, all of you, get everyone in the room, just say, hey, let's talk about what we just learned in church. You know, how can we be a better family? How can we all be happier together? as a family. And I want to encourage you to continue to come for the whole series, by the way. Next week, I'm talk about Fix My Marriage. very specific. I want to encourage you to be here. I'm going to give you two things that always work. Wouldn't that be cool? If there's like, there something that just always works, that just always turns things around, there is. These are my silver bullets in marriage counseling that when, when we give these out and they do them, they work, period. They just do. And so I want to challenge you to be here for that next week. Even though it's Labor Day, be here. Don't miss church. I promise you it's going to make a big impact. Then the third week, you're not going to miss because I'm doing something that scares me I'm scared to death. I'm terrified of what I'm going to do the third week. I'm going to bring my entire family on the stage, and we're going to have a family discussion with you. I'm terrified. Anyway, so pray for Pastor Bill. It's going to be crazy. So I'm paying all the kids off before we do it, so can control the answers. So anyway, so it's going to be great. We're really excited about that. Last thing I want to share with you is this. It says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How many of you guys think that's not new? I already knew that, right? But let me show you something about this. This is a new commandment. The reason why I would say a new commandment is because there must be an old commandment, right? There's an Old Testament commandment, right? That God said something like this in Deuteronomy. He said, if you love me, if you serve me, if you keep my commands and I will love you and I will keep my covenant with you, right? So it was like this covenant, like if you're this way, I'll be that way, right? And so that's the old commandment of love was Follow me, follow all my commands, and, if, and by doing so, you're showing that you love me, and then I will keep my covenant with you, Israel, which Israel in the Old Testament just means Christians today, right? Anyone who has who, given their life to Christ, were adopted into the family. There's a lot of theology here I don't have time to go into, but when it refers to Israel, it's referring to you and me today. So basically, he says, Hey, if you'll just obey me, follow all the rules, then I'm good with you. That's the old covenant. And God was gracious then too. And so instead of taking out his wrath on our sin, he would say, go, let's have Passover weekend and everyone bring a lamb for their family and slaughter it and take, right? And and wipe the blood on the doorpost so that the wrath of God goes above your family. It passes over you, doesn't come to you. And I forgive your sins. We took took out the wrath of God on the lambs rather than you. But then Jesus came, he was the lamb of God. He died for us. And so now he says, there's a new covenant. The old covenant was, if you did good, God blessed you. If you did good, if you obeyed me, if you follow the rules, then I'll show you my everlasting love. No, new, new commandment is this. Let me lay the new commandment over the old one. It covers it up. The old was based upon justice. The new was based upon grace. I love you just because I love you. Unconditionally, regardless of what you've said or what you've done, I love you. This is a new commandment. This is covering up the old commandment. I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's another way of putting that. Here's how we know if you're a Christian family is that you choose to love one another regardless of whether they're doing good or bad, regardless of whether they have acted appropriately or inappropriately, regardless of what the grades are, regardless of how things are going in your marriage, you choose to love them. So it's a whole new command. And then let me show you a couple of the scripture on this. I want to just back this up. It says in Matthew 18, seven, something that you should know about. It says, offenses must come. You're going to offend each other. Some of you are like, well, how can I love them like that when they've offended me, when they've said this and did that and you just expect me just to love them? Like, how can you just do that? Because I know what they did last summer, last night, last week, last month, and now you're telling me just to love them? I mean, do you understand the hell they put me through? I don't, but do you know the hell you put them through? We're gonna pretend like we're God and we are sinless and we've never and somehow they're the ones that have done all the offending and we've never offended but Guys, we both offended each other. You know why? We're all humans. We are. If you're looking for the perfect church, don't come here. I'm sorry. We're not. No one here's perfect. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up because you're not perfect. <laughs> Just wanna let you know on that. Here's the truth is that we all have sinned. All have fallen short of God's glorious ideal, it says in the scripture. And so all of us have sinned. And so we're all going to offend one another. But look, what look, it says, let's define love. 1 Corinthians 13, love is not rude. It is not selfish. It does not get upset with others. Love does not count up wrongs that have been done. The message translation puts it this way. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. So I want to challenge you to do something that's going to sound really crazy. I want to challenge you with this last point, number four. Choose to love like you've never been hurt. Choose to love your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your mom and your dad, as if they've never hurt you. So that's impossible. Not with God's love, it's not. I mean, God loves you as if you've never sinned. And so we can love others as if they've never sinned against us. We just had to make that choice. Wouldn't it be great to love your spouse like you did the first year, <laughs> right? I mean, honeymoon stage, yeah, let's get back to that. That was great, right? Wouldn't it be great to, to think about your child like the first time you held them, right, And that new little outfit that you bought six months before they were even born, right? You're so excited to put them in it, and you hold them. Wouldn't it be great, but now they're a teenager, you don't look at them quite the same way? Right, you're like, oh. Wouldn't it be great to see, you see that sweet little cute face of a little baby now that they're 16 walking around, hey, mom, About the car. Just imagine that little bitty baby. (laughs) To love them before they could do any wrong. To love your spouse before they ever hurt you, before they ever said offensive things, before they ever did something wrong or or didn't keep a commitment, we have to make a decision. We gotta choose to love them as if we've never been hurt by them. And we're asking them to do the same for you. Why? Because that's the heart of God, that's the new covenant. The new covenant is to love someone, even if they've hurt you, just choose to lay right over the top of justice. But it's not right. They should change this and change that, and it's not right. It's just just, not fair. Oh, you didn't know fairness was covered under the cross too. Jesus died for all that. So we take the new love covenant, unconditional love, and we pour it right over the top of the old justice, and you love like you've never been hurt. James Garfield, the 20th president of the United States, Six months into his presidency, he was shot in the back by a would-be assassin. And three months after that, he died. In that three-month period of time, he didn't die from the shot. (laughs) We thought that that was the case, but we didn't have the medical knowledge that we have today. They kept going in every single day trying to dislodge that bullet. And they were using unsterilized instruments because they didn't know about sterilization. And they were redigging open a wound every single day for three months. They've now looked back at the medical records and realized what actually killed him wasn't the initial shot. It was that they kept reopening that wound. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, what will kill your marriage and family wasn't the initial shot. You keep going back and reopening that and picking at it and reliving it and re-talking about it and redoing all that pain again over and over and over again, you gotta let it go. You wanna fix your family? Let it go. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and we take a moment to pray across all of our campuses right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you picking at an old wound still? You know that there's people to this day, I have friends in this church that live with a bullet still lodged in their body that the doctor just said, she sees you just keep it in there. Just quit picking at it. You'll heal right over the top of that. Pretty crazy, right? I don't care how deep the wound is, you can heal from it. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe it's time to quit picking at it. Yeah, but you don't know what she did. You don't know what he said. You don't know how they responded. You have no idea. I don't, but I promise you, God does and he forgave them. So can you. He forgave you and me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today it's time to say, Okay, God, fix me. I'm still angry. I, I've been withholding love from my mom or my dad or from my spouse or my kids because I've been so angry because the expectations I had weren't met. It's time to follow that new commandment. Love them like they never hurt you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if that's your commitment today, just lift your hand high to God and say, God, thank you. I know you're speaking to me. Thank you, Lord. I know you're speaking to me. I want to love them like I've never been hurt by them. Praise God. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe very specifically, you wrote something down you need to change. Would you commit to God this week to say, Lord, for the next month, I'm going to work on that one area that I keep adding and contributing to a mess in my family. Lord, I'm going to work to remove that. I'm going to live differently. Jesus would say at the end of his sermons, he would always say, go and do likewise. So let's go and do what we learned today so we can have better families your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you never trusted Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, his new command happened because Jesus died for you. He paid the price for your sins and for mine, and he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you to individually receive him. We're going to pray a prayer, and you can receive Christ right now, right where you are. We're going to pray this out loud together. We're leading you in this prayer. Pray this prayer with us right now. You can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Just say this with us. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Ain't God good? His word is so true.